0: Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Uh, This is a new series called Idols. Idols. Uh, This morning, it's entitled Imago Dei, which means the image of God, the image of God. So, what is an idol? What's an idol? Does it look like uh, Man City? Does it look like Chelsea? Maybe it's the Cubs. Maybe it's the Browns, Cleveland Browns. Are you kidding me, right? Well, I had a coworker back in the day who was, well, I don't know. I think he worshiped the Cleveland Browns and they were not worthy of worship whatsoever. They couldn't win a game. And so what happened every Monday morning I had, or as it was, if it was a Monday night game, we were dealing with it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and by Friday, he might have forgotten their loss and might have recouped enough to like do his job, right? It took a while. This guy worshiped the Cleveland Browns. You know, back in ancient history, it might have been Baal, or it might have been Moloch, or it might have been Zeus and Hera, or Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Ares, Aphrodite. While we're on the A's, today it might be Adidas. It might be Apple. It might be Audi. It might be Justin Bieber. These are all the idols that we look to to satisfy the thing in our lives that is missing. These are all the things that have the propensity the possibility of becoming something that they ought not be in our lives. Well, the Apostle Paul, he was in in Athens, Greece, and and he writes this in Acts chapter 17. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Fast forward to verse 22, he says, it says, so Paul, standing before the council, because he pointed these things out, he was observing this this idol worship. And so he went before the council and he addressed them and he said, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as, as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by a craftsman from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. There's a couple things I wanna just point out here. Paul noticed that there were gods that they were serving, that in particular one that didn't have a name, and he pointed them to Jesus in that moment, saying, this is who you're worshiping. You don't even know it, but this is the one you're worshiping. And then the very last line of this passage says, that ended Paul's discussion with them. Now, let me just give you a side note. That discussion ended that day. Your discussion with your friends, your acquaintances, those people that you're speaking life into, it doesn't mean that the first time you speak to them, it's all said and done. Your own journey, unless you are very unusual, your own journey is not one that started one day and by the end of that day, it ended. You were convinced from the point you heard for the very first time about Jesus that by the end of that day, you were fully convinced, even though you were just introduced to him. <coughs> that is not usually the way it works, so take heart. Take heart if that is your situation as well. <coughs> I'm trying to... <coughs> and ...the sound guys back there, so bear with me. worship... It's what you and I were created for, but it's not worship of just anything that our hearts are set on. Have you heard the phrase, as we all have? Trust your heart. We often tell our kids that. I'm not gonna yell as much this morning, apparently, because (coughs) I haven't hardly coughed all week. Wouldn't you know? Somebody be praying for me. We tell our kids, honey, follow your heart. Honey, trust your heart. You know, you know what you need to do. Trust your heart. What do we do with this popular and this accepted cultural assumption that our hearts are good and trustworthy? That our hearts are a place where truth and honesty live. When this is, and and by the way, 70%, a recent survey said that 70% of The American people, most of them being evangelicals, believe that we are primarily good, that we are good, inherently good, when in fact scripture teaches us the opposite. The scripture says that we are broken and sinful and we are in need of a savior. And yet somehow we have figured out that we know better than scripture and that even though scripture says we are broken and in need of a savior, we're really good though. We're really good, inherently good. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he writes this. He says in chapter seventeen, he says, the human, heart, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really needs to know how bad it who really knows how bad it is? And he answers his own question when he says, But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. John Calvin, theologian John Calvin, said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory, a perpetual. We keep making idols of everything and anything. I mean, even in the 21st century, as enlightened as we think we are, idolatry is a real thing. It's just more subtle. We just don't have actual statues standing around that we honor and venerate that we worship. No, it is more like the invisible things, the strongholds of our lives that pull us away from Almighty God. These are the things that become the idols in our lives. And if we're not well grounded in the understanding of our value and God's perspective of us, this fickle heart will change allegiance with every shift of the culture, with every shift of the societal wind. Let me remind us what scripture says about who we are. We are created in the image of God. We are the imago Dei, the image of God. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, the first book of the Bible, we read the creation account, and God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, the Imago Dei of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, if you read further in the creation account, you'll find these humans were a perfect creation. They bore the image of God, but they were also given choice, free will. And they chose, and we choose and sin comes and breaks the image. Have you ever uh, broken a, a, a mirror, like cracked a mirror and it went into just a million pieces but it didn't actually fall out? Like the mirror was still there. You could see your image but it was skewed and misdirected, it was misplaced. This is what happens when sin enters and breaks this image of God that is in us. We don't lose it. It's just not lined up like it used to be. And instead of the image of God being the default, sin enters in and then whatever we put there, whatever we put there to replace that fractured image, that becomes our idol, that becomes our idol. It becomes our false God. So how do I know this morning if I have an idol? Or if the image of God, the Imago Dei, is visible in me? Well, all of us have been kids. All of us, uh, some of us have kids. Some of us are still kids. And so let's just take that theme for one second. The Proverbs writer says in verse 20, chapter 22, he says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. Okay, now how many of you know that doing your best doesn't ensure that your child will follow suit? Yes, that is true. But don't you still invest and hope and pray and lean into faith because in their formative years, they are the reflection of what they see in your life. Much like we were created to reflect the image of God, our kids now will also reflect us. As we stand in for God until they get to a certain age, they watch, they see, they reflect. As they do, they see what you pay attention to, what I pay attention to, what we value. And just as what we value will determine our future, what they observe in us, has the possibility of, of, of turning out to be the thing that determines their future as well. This is, this is a heavy responsibility, and it begs us to revisit what it is that we love most. What's at the top of the list? What do we love most? What do we think about most? What do we think about most when we have nothing else to think about? Because what, when, we, when we do this, when we think about, about what is top priority in our life, It will point us to that which has the potential to become or is already an idol in our lives. All of us have seen the the 10 Commandments. All of us are at least somewhat aware of what they are. Moses received the 10 Commandments, and we read about it in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. What's your Egypt? What's your place of slavery? You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or on the seas. No other gods, No idols, first two commandments. Now an idol here, and in in scripture a lot, refers to images that are carved from stone or wood or gold and silver. God has created and he has put his creative spirit in us, so he is not in these words saying, don't create. We got all kinds of confused about some of this sometimes. God does not contradict himself. We are charged with creating just as he created, but we are charged with creating not with the intention of worshiping whatever it is that we create. He's not trying to stifle our artistic giftings and talents, but he's trying to help us to avoid these improper substitutes that just like that ancient world and now translated to this this American world, Idols steal hearts away from the true worship of God. Verse five, you must not bow down to them, still talking about idols, or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. You guys, you have you heard about generational sin? It doesn't just stop with you. If you make a decision to live a certain way, it impacts generations after you. But here's the thing. Here's what he says in verse six. He says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. The blessing of worshiping the one true God, of putting away these feeble idols, is that thousands of generations after us will receive the blessing of Almighty God. Verse seven, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. There's so many things I want to say about every commandment here, but that's not what we're doing this morning, so I'm going to keep going, but we're going to do a series. As I was preparing for this, I thought, you know what? It's time for us to do a Ten Commandments series because it's important to get some clarity because some of these things we've heard all of our lives, and we have skewed understanding of what it really means. Okay, I'm I'm gonna go. Uh, Verse eight, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. This goes on and he keeps talking about the, the observation of the Sabbath. And all I'm gonna say to this is that it's important for us to have a rhythm of rest. The seventh day may not be in today's world and in the days of Jesus even. Jesus walked through the grain fields and he was doing it on the Sabbath and he was doing stuff he wasn't supposed to be doing on the Sabbath. The religious people were all over him for that. But his point was, in retrospect, now we see, right? Hey, don't make an idol of a certain day. The day was made for you, not not the Sabbath. You were made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath wasn't made for you. So be clear about what this means. Number, uh, verse 12, honor your father and mother. That's a simple one. No, it's not. Then you will live a long life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. 13, you know, sometimes we think, oh, these 10 commandments are so difficult to keep. Dude, if we can't keep these, uh, this is like base level human stuff. Don't kill anybody, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Don't tell lies about your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Here's the deal. We never break Commandments 3 through 10 without first breaking 1 and 2. We never break 3 through 10 without first saying, I'm gonna serve another god. I like this image, and I'm going to worship that. No other gods, no idols. Those are the first two. Those are the first two that are broken before we break any others. Tim Keller wrote a book, Counterfeit God, that has uh, informed much of what I'm teaching this morning. Uh, So just in case you think I'm really bright and intelligent, um, I'm just really good at copying and pasting a few things here. Uh, He did a lot of research, and I think there are some people before him that did the research, but it showed up in his book, Counterfeit Gods, and he talks about this thing of surface idols. Surface idols. What are the things that you can actually this morning say, yep, that's a god, that's a god, that's an idol to me. These are the things that we're gonna talk about for just a few minutes. Okay, so here we go. Life only has meaning, and I only have value if I have a particular kind of look or body image, image idolatry, image idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have value if I am highly productive and get a lot of work done. Work idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have value if I'm being recognized for my accomplishments and excelling in my work. That's achievement idolatry. Let me be clear about something real quick here. These things in and of themselves, just because you are oriented toward achievement doesn't mean achievement is wrong. Just because you like to work and be productive doesn't mean that work is wrong. Just because you want to uh, look a certain way doesn't mean that your image is wrong. But these are surface idols that have become something more than just a little piece of you. They become what you obsess about, what you think about. Does this dress make my hips look wide? That's a fair question. It's not one men should ever answer, but it's a fair question. So what if it does? If we're, if we're worshiping the idol of image, we will be devastated by what shows up in the mirror. We will say, well, I don't deserve anything good because look at me. No, you're the amago Dei. You're made in the image of God. Life only has meaning and I only have value if I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions. We Americans don't deal with this one at all. This is materialism idolatry. I only have, uh, life only has meaning and I only have value if I am adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplished in its activities. This is religious. Yes, religion can become an idol, religious idolatry. And the flip side of that is I don't need God. I am good on my own, and I'm gonna serve an irreligious idol. See, all of these things can just put us right into the ditch one way or the other. Life only has meaning, and I only have value if this one person is in my life and happy to be here and or happy with me. This is individual person idolatry. Life only uh, has meaning and I only have value if my race and culture is recognized as superior. Wow. We dealt with this one this year, haven't we? It just comes right out of all the depths of darkness. This one, racial, cultural idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have value. If a particular social or professional group lets me in, this is inner ring idolatry. Man, if I could just get into that circle of friends, then my life would be worthwhile. If I could only associate with that club, then my life would be worthwhile. And until it does, my life has no value, my life has no meaning. Life only has meaning, and I only have value if my children and or my parents are happy and happy with me. This is family idolatry. Oh. Deep introspection, parents. Think about the things that you're asking your kids to do. Think about the things that you think about when they don't behave in public. Which for some of us, that is just the thing that happens whenever we're in public. Our kids do the opposite of what we've taught them. And so immediately the implication is on us, whether we think it's true or not. We put it on ourselves, I'm a terrible parent because my kids are acting like kids. And so somehow, I become, you become less than because you've elevated good kids to such a level that you be, it's become idol worship, family, teaching them who they are, that they are the Imago Dei is significant and important and the best thing for them. But when they don't follow what you've taught them. Make sure that you have proper perspective. Life only has meaning and I only have value. If Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in love with me and wants to be with me, this is relationship idolatry. If I can just get that one girl, my life would be complete if that guy would just glance at me just one time, if that happened, then I would finally have value. Then I would finally feel like life is worth living. Relationship idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have value. If I am hurting in a problem, only then do I feel worthy of love or able to deal with the guilt. This is suffering idolatry. Who would imagine that you would latch on to suffering as an idol? The pain, though, is good because then I really feel, feel deeply. And that pain translates to something that we just need to have in order to feel like we're actually worth anything. And finally, and this isn't all of them, but I'm stopping with this. When life only has meaning and I only have value, if I'm completely free of obligations or responsibilities to take care of someone, this is independence idolatry. And this is another way that we like to live here in the United States, is independence is, is a really good thing for us, or so we think. And at some level it is. But it is, again, when it becomes an unhealthy level of independence, when we say, my life only has value and meaning if I don't have anyone depending on me. Now, we don't think of any of these things in a cognitive sort of way. We just live in such a way that reveals our actual belief. Now, on the surface, this is what these were. Surface idols, easy to recognize. This is what we see, but, but it's not the real problem. It's not the real problem because there are root issues. There are deep-rooted idols. And just like we pull the weeds in our garden, if you don't get them out by the roots, they're gonna come right back again. So it is as we look at what these deep-root idols are. So track with me here. First one, comfort. Comfort. If you seek comfort, privacy, lack of stress, freedom, these are all things that are high, high value, above all others. This is your root idol. Now, people may say that you're laid back and li- he's such a likable chap. He's so laid back, he's so relaxed, he's so calm. But your shadow side is going to be unproductive. You're so attached to comfort that productivity doesn't become something that you're very much concerned about. Your greatest nightmare, if you if you're idle, your root idol is comfort, your greatest nightmare is stress. It is demands. People around you often feel hurt and neglected. And your problem emotion is going to be boredom. Boredom. What is replaced? When we serve the comfort idol, the idol of comfort replaces the peace in Christ because our idol becomes, "Oh, if I can just be comfortable, I don't have to be concerned about anything else. Root idol number two is approval. This is a big one, isn't it? It's, it's big for all of us. If you seek approval, then, you are, then you're seeking affirmation, you're seeking love and relationships above all else. People may say, again, that you are likable and and friendly, but the shadow side of this is a loss of freedom. You gotta put yourself in a box that says, I have to be approved, I have to be affirmed, I can't operate unless other people think the very best of me. And your greatest nightmare is rejection. Your greatest nightmare is rejection when you serve this idol of approval. People around you often feel smothered Some of you are doing some deep analyzing right this minute, because you're wondering, hmm, is that why people move in and out of my life? Do they feel smothered? Your problem emotion is cowardice, cowardice, because the, the, the idol of approval has so trapped you that you can't act courageously. Because if you do, there's a good chance you'll not be approved. There's a good chance you'll be rejected. What you're giving up when you worship the idol of approval is living in God's love and receiving that above all else. The idol of control. That's the next one. If you seek control, then you're after self-discipline. You are making, uh, you're, you're after certainty and you have very high standards. People may say that you are competent and you are detailed. Competent and detailed. But the shadow side of this one is loneliness. It's loneliness. If you have to control everything, you're gonna shut people out. Your greatest nightmare? Uncertainty. People around you often feel condemned because they can't measure up. Your problem emotion is probably worry. Worry. So the very thing that you're doing is trying to control everything, but you can't control your worrying. Deep-rooted idol number four is power. Power. If you seek power, you're after success, you're after winning, you're after influence. Above all else, again, those things are not wrong in and of themselves, but if you make them priority, if that's what you're worshiping, this is where you run into trouble. Now, people around you may say you are confident and you are strong, but your shadow side is that you carry a lot of burden and you carry a lot of responsibility. Your greatest nightmare is humiliation. If you are worshiping the idol of power, your greatest nightmare is probably humiliation. People around you often feel used, and your problem emotion is likely anger. I worship at all four of those deep rooted idols. That's the conclusion I've come to. All four of these deep-rooted idols have some level of control in my life. And as I was prepping, guys, I, I had the realization that God was once again saying, I need you to die a few, to a few things. I need you to die to a few things. This is hard, hard work. This is a hard word. It's hard not to worship at the the idol of comfort, to want people's approval, to want to be in control, to go after power, all of these for the wrong reasons. But God keeps coming back and saying, this is why I sent Jesus. That's why he came and and lost his life because I wanted you to find your life, your real life. Not this idol worship fake stuff, but the real life. Back to the heart, back to the heart. Is it a perpetual idol factory? Is our heart the seed of our emotions, the place that cannot be trusted? Is it deceitful and and desperately wicked? Because if it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and if it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved, then one would have to conclude that the wicked heart, the deceitful heart, is an unredeemed heart a heart of stone that has not yet been replaced with a heart of flesh. Now at the same time, we are all a work in process. When we come into alignment with Jesus, we are made right, we are justified, but the journey on earth is filled with moments and sometimes it feels like lifetimes that require clear perspective on our propensity toward once again reverting to the worship of something or someone other than Almighty God. And again, I turn to the Apostle Paul as he writes it in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this death, from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. He doesn't stop there, though. So now, he says, and so now, says the Spirit of God to us this morning, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's a good word. That's a good word for us this morning. Because if we consider that the gravity of having these surface idols and realizing the depth of comfort we seek, the depth of power that we long for, the approval we want. We have few choices, but to come back and focus on who we're called to be, and we are the Imago Dei of God. As human beings created in his image, we, you and I, have a responsibility to be like he is, to honor him in all things to never capitulate to the cultural norms that war against the preeminence of Christ. Do you wanna change? Do you wanna gain some self-understanding? Here's the key. Identify your idols. Identify your idols, pull them out by the roots, because whatever your circumstances, doesn't matter how dire your circumstances, If you shift your focus, get perspective on God, put away those useless idols, you have to name them and reduce them to the rubble they already are, and you'll see the goodness of God overflow in your life again. Would you stand with me as we pray? I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come forward as well. And this morning, as we close our time together, I'd encourage you that um, if it helps you to have someone pray over you. Because as you face this coming week, if you give consideration to these words, the difficulty of making change in your life as you gain understanding about the idols in your life is potentially insurmountable on your own. So lean into this moment and uh, come for prayer if that's something that would be helpful to you. Now, God, I thank you that you have been, uh, that you are in this place this morning, that we, as we worship you and we align ourselves with you again, that we walk in the way that is righteous, that is justified, but it is only through the blood of your son Jesus that this is true so God I pray for each and every individual in the room this morning all of those online that whatever those things are those surface idols or those root idols in our lives that they would be brought to the surface revealed and removed in the name of Jesus so we thank you for this time together this morning. I pray life and blessing over everyone in this space and all those online. May your, your, the wisdom of God be on you this week as you walk out into your communities, as you influence those that you come into contact with. Do so with the clear understanding they also carry the imago Dei, the image of God. They also have propensity toward worshiping those things which are just feeble, mute gods that do not hear, do not act on our behalf. Be gentle with each other. Love well in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.